The scripture reading for day, today is John 14, 8 through 17. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and in the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask of me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, sorry. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. The word of the Lord. There's a lot up here. I don't know what it is. Uh, this is uh, the, uh, it's Pentecost, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, Pentecost is, uh, well, it's all about the Holy Spirit, and uh, I never know quite what to say. So I got this one. This is a this is a, a good one from a long time back. You know, I still think uh, I still think it works pretty well. So uh, you might recognize some of it. Is what I'm saying. It's about when uh, when we were kids. When me and my brother Mike, we were kids. And how we divided up the world. Uh, we would not. We never wanted to like or have the same things. We divided everything. Like, he was older, so he got Batman, and I had to take Robin, which still kind of irks me, because, you know, like, what does Robin do? Nothing. I felt better with other superheroes. Of course, he got Superman, but I really convinced myself that I didn't really even want Superman. Like, he could have Superman. Like, Superman was just too much of a good citizen for me. I took Aquaman. Uh, he seemed maybe like a little bit more subversive. I tried to ignore the voice in the back of my head that just kept saying, uh, his superpower is that he can swim like a fish? Well, you know, it's better than Robin's superpower, right? What's, his, what's Robin's superpower? Exclamation. That's nothing. Favorite color was another thing we had to come to terms with. I remember it was like an official meeting. We came together. Uh, when I was eight and he was nine, we sat on our swings and discussed all the colors one by one, pointing out their virtues and their failings. Uh, red, red is cool, right? It's like fast. Red is like really, really fast. It's the color of blood. Yeah, cool. Brown. Brown is uh, pretty much poop. 
Oh, yeah, brown is poop. And dirt. And boogers. Nuh-uh, Mike said. Boogers are green. No, they are not green, I said. Boogers are yellow. And then there was some debate, uh, but Mike eventually granted to me that they were mostly yellow, which I was glad for because I had already decided that I was going to pick green as my favorite color, and I didn't want to let him know just right then because he might even make a play for green, or I did not want them to be deemed the color of boogers because then I could never have taken it. It came down to what there was more of in the world, really, with the colors. Mike held that there was more blue in the world than any other color, pointing out that the sky was blue, the oceans were blue, and I was quite happy with green, uh, noting that plants, trees, grass, and though I didn't say it out loud, I thought that a lot of the ocean and lakes looked pretty, pretty green to me. Over the years, we divided up almost everything we came across. Trees, he took conifers, I took deciduous, metals, Mike took ferrous, me non-ferrous, hemispheres, Mike took northern, I took southern, me dogs, Mike cats, me trucks, Mike cars, me helicopters, Mike jets, me chicken, Mike beef, me nails, Mike screws, me the who, Mike the Rolling Stones, Mike Minneapolis, me St. Paul, me blondes, Mike brunettes, the list is endless, but I will end with this summarizing choice. Mike took apples, I took oranges. Things were not just different from one another, but the way we saw the world is that things were in opposition to one another. One, was a, one kind of thing was better than the other kind of thing. One was wrong and bad, the other was good and right. Namely, Aquaman, the color green, deciduous trees, non-ferrous metals in the northern hemisphere, dogs, trucks, chickens, the who, St. Paul, brunettes, and oranges were really great. They were good. I could never bring myself to fully claim Robin as my own. Well, this seems like healthy childhood differentiation, because after all, Mike and I were 53 weeks apart, and we were often treated as a single unit, so it's understandable that we would want to divide up the world, that we would each want our very own thing that we did not have to share, because we had to share so much. But I will confess, as I grew, that this oppositional worldview, I did not grow out of it. It did not end with my childhood. I grew up in a culture of faith culture, you could say, um, that seemed to support this whole worldview, this oppositional world view. A faith culture that actually thrived on declaring that one thing was better than another thing. A culture that valued identifying what was good and what was bad. And of knowing where you stood. You had to know where you stood and you had to know why you stood there. And I knew where I stood, and I always knew why. Punks are good, hippies are bad, and I can tell you why later if you want. The city is better than the suburbs, of course, do I need to spell that out? Pretty solid reasons. I mean, I have so much research on that. And another plank in my platform, I picked up at an early age a preference for the minority opinion. The kind of the underdogish worldview, just assuming that anything that was not overly popular was better. This could go back to the Superman Aquaman decision, you know. It could be a result of Mike always choosing first, 
So he always got the popular choice. I mean, who am I kidding? I never, I, if I would have had the chance to take Batman, I would have grabbed him right away. But I developed this uh, preference for the minority opinion. I was always a Pepsi drinker until the great Pepsi challenge. And, that, and, then, that was, and then once I took the Pepsi challenge, I took it along with many other Americans. And like most Americans in a blind taste test, I chose Pepsi. I felt vindicated at first. I pointed out to Mike, a Coke drinker, that I was right, that even he chose Pepsi. And he said everybody chose Pepsi. And then I thought, everybody did choose Pepsi. I reflected, everybody? My elation turned to despair. I felt common. I never drank Pepsi again. I switched to Coke. Mike switched to Pepsi. When I was in ninth grade, I found myself in this situation that required me to make these either-or kind of decisions about many things that I had never even heard of before at some lightning speed. When I was in ninth grade, I, joined, I went on a three-month mission trip with a group called Teen Missions International. I joined this mission team that was going to evangelize the wild and uncharted mission fields of England. And the whole organization was filled with all these other 15-year-old dogmaticians. They argued about everything. They took positions on everything. They argued for what was right about theological points that I had never even heard of before. The first day we were there, this kid from Pennsylvania, Eric Vanderveen, he asked me if I was a pre-trib or post-trib. I said, Minneapolis-trib. <laughs> but apparently it was no laughing matter to a 15-year-old uh, full of the Spirit. And speaking of the Spirit, this was a big issue. The whole Holy Spirit was a very big issue uh, among these youngsters, these young uh, defenders of the faith, these young scholars. The Holy Spirit was a very big issue, particularly when it came to the gifts of the Spirit. The question was, does the Holy Spirit still give gifts, the gifts of healing, of prophecy, of tongues. Speaking in tongues was a big one. Or were the gifts of the spirits for another dispensation? That means were they given in the early church, but were then they were just then eventually like phased out as culture evolved and people learned about science. But uh, after hearing all the arguments myself, I came down on the side of uh, no gifts, no more gifts. No more speaking in tongues or healing or uh, prophesying. Uh, that maybe that's, that's all done. I mean, I hadn't seen a lot of it. So I came down on the no gift side. What was decisive for me was not really the various arguments, but the prospect of having to take seriously the prophecies of Eric Vandering from Pennsylvania. That and maybe the fact that every person, other person there practically seemed to be in the speaking in tongues camp. So that made the decision for me, no. It was a full-on gifts of the spirit group of teenage boom shakalakas. Yes, speaking in tongues, prophesying, discernment, spiritual discernment, that was another huge one. People loved to have the gift of discernment, a gift discerning of the spirit. Um, Oh yeah, and there was also exorcism. There were exorcisms. Exorcism is not 
on the official New Testament list of spiritual gifts, but everybody's seen the movie and it seemed kind of cool. So uh, somehow people started with it. There was also not infrequent binding of the devil, casting out of the devil. And then there was a lot of feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is that discernment that you can feel the Spirit of God that came down. You'd hear a lot of the, uh, surely the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. That was popular. And can you feel the Spirit? Or I can really feel the Spirit moving among us. And I was always there with an oppositional reverent remark when I proclaimed, I think I just felt the Spirit grab my ass. But uh, then it would be pointed out that I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which is the unpardonable sin. So I was just basically a non-tongue-speaking, non-spirit-feeling, unpardonable orange eater. There was this guy there from Houston named Jeff Davis. I was kind of friends with him because he uh, liked Bob Dylan and didn't know how to play any sports. So we were natural companions. Uh, but he was very much on the tongue speaker side. He was on the tongue speaker, devil caster outer side, which would eventually become quite problematic for me. About one month in to this summer long trip, he started acting uh, like possessed at night after we all got into our bunks. He would wait until he felt like most people were asleep, and then he would start making small garbled sounds, you know, quietly at first, uh, just a little bit of... And I apologize if I'm imitating uh, uh, speaking in tongues or a demon, and I apologize to any demons that might be present. Um, uh, he made these small garbled sounds quietly at first, and then he worked his way up to almost to a wailing and a thrashing around in his bed, still at a volume that indicated that he and or the demon inside him didn't want to wake any of the leaders up. He would start calling my name after that. He would be thrashing, and then he would, he would call my name, and it was like, it was like a, a hiss whisper kind of a thing. Yeah, like a, like a devilly hiss whisper. He would say, Russell, Russell, I need you. And then he'd flop around a little bit. The first time he did it, I was, of course, obviously very freaked out. I jumped out of my bunk and I ran over to him. And uh, I mean, I really didn't know what to do. So I said, uh, Jeff? And then he hiss whispered, yeah. He said, then he said, like, he's in me, man. He's in me. Help me. I mean, the first time he did this, I said, that, that's it. That's it. I'm, go I'm, I'm going to get Dave. He was the team leader. And he went, hey, man, don't go get the leader. Uh, and he kept it up. So I said, Jeff, no, I'm going, to get, I'm going to go get Dave. And he said, okay, come on. Come on. Just please don't. Just pray over me and cast him out. Cast out the devil. He was scaring me. And I said, uh, I cannot do that. And he said, okay, how about let's just go for a walk? And I said, well, that's a better alternative. Um, so we went outside. And we sat on the bank of this canal in England where we had been evangelizing. And uh, we'd sit there, and he would talk to me, and he would tell me this stuff. And 
He cried on my shoulder and tell me what a bad child he had, all this horrible stuff that he went through. And he would tell me these things, and then he would let go. I, I see the devil is in the bushes. The devil is coming for us. I see, can you see the devil? And it was, this was all very scary to me. Uh, and also a bit overwhelming. And he did this night after night after night. So much I, could, I couldn't take it. I started avoiding him during the day, but, and I tried to ignore him at night, but when this devil hissing my name, it's, I got, it's hard to just uh, ignore it. So night and night we did this, and he would tell me these things, and then he would tell me he sees the devil all around us. And One night, he looked really freaked out. And he said, don't turn around. Don't turn around. The devil is right behind you. Don't turn around. He's coming. He's moving closer. He's getting closer. I was so freaked out. I was sleep deprived. I was scared. I felt like I was going to snap. I was going to lose it. I looked up and I saw this train going by on the other side of the canal. And I said almost an involuntary prayer. I prayed in my head, God, if you don't do something about this guy, about this situation, by the time the train passes, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm going to lose it. And then the train passed. And I felt like I saw heaven open up, and I felt a tingling in my toes, and it traveled up through my body, and it came out my mouth. I was speaking in tongues. It had just happened to me. It came upon me. I was speaking in these strange tongues. And I'll tell you, Jeff was su as surprised as I was. And he, he got up and came, he kind of came to himself, and he was, thought this was fantastic. The next day he told all the other tongue speakers that I had been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and that I was now a tongue speaker, and they all wanted to pray with me and speak in tongues with me. But I really wasn't that into it. I was still the non-tongue speaker guy I always had been, but I was a tongue-speaking non-tongue speaker guy. It was good, though, in the end, because I got to hang out with the, with the tongue-speaking camp and the non-tongue speakers. And it was nice to be on both sides at once. It, it seemed okay to be in a place where you could be both ways. They were both good and they were both right and you didn't have to choose. You didn't have to come down on one side righteous and one side debauched. But I could move between the camps. That 15-year-old experience with the Holy Spirit didn't really transfer over into the rest of my life. I continued with my oppositional worldview, choosing what was right, the right way to be and what was the wrong way to be, what was the right thing to think and believe and what was the wrong thing to think and believe. But the Holy Spirit was always this little anomaly in my worldview. I'm pretty much still a non-tongue speaker, tongue speaker. And in my limited thinking about the Holy Spirit, after all of this comes up, I'm committed mostly to the idea that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God that is manifested, most importantly, in community. It's what draws us all together. And the revelation of the Holy Spirit and those revelations that come out of our experience of being in community gathered around this gospel of radical inclusion, mercy, and love 
Community is where we find, where we know for sure that the Spirit of God is present. I was talking to, about this with my friend and German scholar, Jake, and he told me that in German, spirit is Geist, and it means both an individual spirit, like a ghost that could haunt you or be present in an individual, but it also, Geist also means that it is a, a general communal kind of a spirit, like Zeitgeist, like the spirit of time. The Heiligeist, or the Holy Spirit, is both a very particular spirit and a very general spirit, a spirit which brings everyone together and also works in the individual. It is that particular spirit of Jesus that this text was talking about, that comes to us, that comes from God the Creator. Is God with us? The spirit of the gospel alive and moving in the world. It's the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is. I remember reading something from Karl Barth, and this is what I read. He says that the Holy Spirit is this initial act of grace, but it's also an ongoing miracle of grace. The Holy Spirit initiates reconciliation and continues in reconciliation, not only in the individual, but in the community, the neighborhood, the world. That through this story, we come around the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Spirit initiates this miracle of grace, of the grace of God, and continues to unfold the grace in our lives, and particularly as we experience it in community. And then the next thing it said in this thing from Bart, and it was, it was the thing I was looking for, this sentence that defined the Holy Spirit, something that I could say without the hiss, without the whisper, without the irreverent sarcasm, that the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring and hold together that which is different. This is what Bart says. The, to bring, the Holy Spirit is to bring and hold together that which is different. That seemed like the best news possible to me. It's how we can be in relationship with God. He says that it is the spirit which enables Jesus to be fully God and fully human. These two seem seemingly incongruent things. It's the spirit that holds those together. And what enables us to be fallen and redeemed individuals. It's played out in the Gospels when Jesus brings together Gentiles and Jews and the clean and the unclean and men and women and those who are enslaved and those who are the enslaver. It seems amazing and beautiful to me that an integral part of God is this bringing together and holding together of that which is different. That when God decided, what are we going to be like, God thought, well, a big part of what we need to be is we need to be that which brings and holds together that which seems to be in opposition. And of course, the world cannot always see it. That's the opposite of the, what the world is about. The spirit of our age, the spirit of this last half decade, seems to be increasingly about identifying differences, drawing big, thick lines between one thing and another, where any notion that two things 
in opposition could somehow be held together has become more and more offensive to people. That's why I'm so happy to have found this here. Batman and Robin are together. You can like both. Apples and oranges always are in the same fruit bowl. Wherever there's a division and a line drawn between us and them, we're reminded, we're nudged by the Holy Spirit because we have opened ourselves to that. That we're invited, that even though we feel attention, even though we do feel alien or alienated, that the Spirit of God is present on both sides of the line, drawing us together, calling us together. Mm-hmm.